Hello, I'm Mike Ryan. You know, there are two things in life that are certain, death and taxes. COVID-19 has killed a great chunk of the world's population and created chaos globally. Shortly, we're joined by Ben Bornstein from the COVID Medical Network. And as for taxes, Joe Biden's trigger finger is getting ready to pull the trigger. Blake Christian talks tax and opportunity zone soon. There's a number of issues that surround the treatment for COVID-19 and some of the drugs. Hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin are two of those drugs and their associated treatments that draw much flack. The COVID Medical Network is a group of senior medical doctors and health professionals who are concerned about the health impacts of the lockdowns used in response to COVID-19 outbreaks in Victoria and right across Australia. It aims to provide the latest and the best evidence about the virus and the strategies used to manage the outbreaks. Ben Bornstein is a consultant from the COVID Medical Network. Ben, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ryan. What treatments are available in Australia for people who test positive for COVID-19 if they're showing mild or maybe no symptoms? Well, I think that question brings up... um the status quo here, which is um, the the advice that we're given from our um, National Clinical Evidence Task Force, uh, all ministers, etc., it seems to be wait at home. Uh, I've heard it phrased the rot and see. If you get worse, go to hospital. There are no treatments, no early treatments uh, proposed at all, and that's absurd uh, for medicine. Every doctor you speak to there's not a single condition that you would treat like that normally. That is, wait and see if you're bad enough to go to hospital. Is this the same for all age groups, including maybe the aged? Look, um, in raising the aged uh, uh, issue, it's really important to understand that this disease is, is statistically showing to affect age groups at very different um, levels. And that, those statistics are not that easy to find. But uh, if you go to um, America's CDC, you're able to find statistics that um, go over the deaths by rate, by age groups. Um, And there are other um, things, other uh, areas that you can look at. They don't put it all together for you, but Statistica is one that tells you what is the population distribution in America. And finally, uh, you know, another um, website um, gives you uh, the number of tests and the number of deaths in America with a year's data, you can get a good idea of what the mm. spread of death is um, by age group, what your probability of death is. I've calculated it. Uh, it'll be within plus or minus 10 percent, these calculations, I'm sure. But the um, mortality rate for COVID-19, uh, even if you don't get treatment up to the age of 44, is a fraction of a percent. It's, it's less than 0.3 of a percent with no treatment. Interesting, the, uh, the government, uh, whether it's state, federal or, or even local governments or the uh, medical fraternity come out and say uh, all this misinformation is just creating havoc. But what they're not doing is creating or telling us exactly what's happening. The information is not there. So that leaves us void for all sorts of uh, information aspects to pop into it, doesn't it? It does. Uh, look, um, I think that, you know, the, the Clinical Evidence Task Force have taken the approach of what can't be done rather than what can be done. And anyone can tell you what can't be done. 
Um, it, it is, uh, I think, uh, shameful not to be looking at what can be done and not to talk to practicing physicians abroad that are successfully treating people, statistically successfully treating people early. It's a, uh, it, it seems to be a virus that, like most viruses, if you can get to them early, you'll get some uh, effects. So uh, the first few days of symptoms, that's when you need to see someone, yet the advice we have, the standing advice is don't go and see anyone. The doctors are scared to see anyone. Um, and so wait until it gets worse. And uh, there's a thing called a cytokine storm that happens when you wait long enough. That's when you go to hospital. That's when your immune system, it's no longer the virus, it's your immune system is trying to compensate. And it's what takes you down, not the virus. Interesting to note that the uh, bureaucracy know, know a lot more than doctors. So that's always uh, one to put in our hat and throw the hat away. Uh, does the USA set the standards or guidelines on the treatments uh, in Australia? Well, I think the answer to that is not officially, but sadly, um, through association, the FDA, the CDC and the NIH have all um, shunned and, and, and you could say they've even steered away from early treatments. Um, the motives for that we can go into later, but it's more important to know that there's no, um, there's no push to work with the early treatments that so many doctors around the world and outside of the US and outside of Australia are finding success with. I think um, there's a term I'd like to introduce to this now, which uh, takes it straight back into the camp of those that um, would be um, saying don't use early treatment. Let's, let's coin the phrase um, early treatment skeptics. Can you tell us uh, on what or whose authority treatment is determined in Australia? Look, um, it seems like uh, the I would say uh, Associate Professor Julian Elliott heads a Monash-led task force um, telling us what should and should not be done. And uh, through their recommendations, um, for example, our TGA, the equivalent of the FDA in America, and probably a bit of a puppet to the FDA, or at least seems to copy it, um, uh, John Skerritt seems to be heading um, the TGA, I think they're really aware that early treatments are working, but they are steering us, the public, away. It feels like we are pawns in a in a game. Why would they be steering us away? I mean, I noticed on the uh, on Monash University uh, on their uh, on their uh, stationery, it says, "No matter how bad you think coronavirus is, it's worse." Look, that's a good point. And, and, you know, we could get drawn into that discussion, which would then take away from the clinical evidence that can be presented to show just how powerful early treatment is. If if uh, I was to go down that path just a little way, um, when the population um, has no choice um, on, on treatments, um, then there's a, a fear factor that's brought in. And with fear, people will listen. They'll say, what is the solution? And if they're told there is no solution except perhaps a, a vaccine and wait for that vaccine uh, and lockdowns and, and shut down your schools and put masks on, uh, it becomes almost unquestioned. But if you do question it, then all of a sudden you, the catchphrase throws out there of, um, uh, well, it's misinformation, mm. the real misinformation. And this is true. The real misinformation comes from the burying of the evidence for early treatment and the glossing over of 
the dangers of introducing vaccines at warp speed. The uh, it's just been a uh, this 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 media circus. They uh, really add fuel to the fire, and uh, the clickbait must be enormous. But yeah, I've seen such horrendous headlines of this, and it's all you know it has to come from somewhere. So they, they seem to be all in co- in in this great little team. You got the government, you got the bureaucracy, you got the part of the medical fraternity, you got those who. Who are looking at this at a, a at, you know, as a as a profit center, as a business? Uh, they're all in 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 this little boat together, and um, the it's this same narrative. So if you are you're right, if you are to uh, question that, I mean it's almost like the uh, the pointing at the witches. Oh, they're coming out with these untruths, but this is what science is all about: to be able to, to discuss. Uh, doctors are doctors. That's what they're trained to do, and they look after the patients, and just probably keep big government or government out of this altogether in some cases. Yeah, it, it seems to be, uh, you know, there, there seems to be both money trails, power mm. trails and mates trails, you know, where you, you rub one guy's back, he'll help you. I'll give you interviews if you mm. tow the narrative that I've got. But um, in the end, the data's there and it is so compelling. Anyone can look up, uh, for instance, on hydroxychloroquine, a website, hcqmeta.com. That's hcqmeta.com. It's all being compiled there. It is astounding the amount of evidence that is being ignored by our National Clinical Evidence Task Force and uh, headed by Associate Professor Julian Elliott. We would like to put, when I say we, I work with the COVID Medical Network, we would like to put these um, professors and these academics in touch with the doctors that are treating thousands of patients that can give them clinical advice rather than theoretical advice. Interesting. They say the medical fraternity is a closed shop. This probably uh, enhances that theory. Uh, Ben, uh, Ben Bornstein, uh, how do we find out more about COVID Medical Network and the, the website and other other means? Yes, if you just string the words together, covidmedicalnetwork.com, you'll find us, and there's a lot of information to be found there. But um, basically, webinars are on there, and it's the facts section, and, and you know, always facts are contentious. I'm, I'm, I'm dubious of any site that says fact checker, but look through the facts and the information there just so that you can have... Uh, uh, you can be informed, and this is a, a theory we'd like to pursue in the in the future, informed consent. Things are really moving at a rapid pace, um, but, you know, some interesting questions, which we must uh, develop uh, in later uh, episodes of uh, Asia Pacific Today. Uh, ben is from the COVID Medical Network. Thank you very much. A pleasure. Joe Biden promised as a candidate that he would, on day one, repeal the entire Republican Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was enacted in 2017. He wants to tax energy, reimpose the Obamacare individual mandate tax, tax capital gains as ordinary income and double the top rate, raise the death tax so don't you die and impose a $200 gun tax and other measures to fund his Green New Deal, plus economic bailouts for the democratic states and cities that don't know how to run states or cities. Blake Christian is a partner at Holthouse, Carlin and Van Trite. Blake, great to see you once again. Great to see you, Mike. Look, there's been talk of both long-term and short-term capital gains being taxed 
at very high federal rates by the new administration. Can you tell us any more about this and any likely timing? Right. Well, uh, during the uh, debates and the the campaign, uh, President Biden made it pretty clear that he was going to emasculate the um, the Trump 2017 Tax Act and and get away get get rid of a lot of uh, the tax benefits that he provided and stimulated the economy in quite a good way. And, um, and and a couple of the core things is is to tax uh, capital gains at a much higher rate, as you mentioned. And so that would take us on uh, for short term capital gains, those uh, 12 months or less that they would get raised from as high, the maximum of uh, 40, uh, 40. 40.4. I'm sorry, 40.8 percent. Um, those would go up to. Uh, 43.4, and um, and he would do he would do the same. He would not differentiate. He, long-term capital gains would get taxed at that same rate, and uh, they'd go from 23.8 up to 43.4. Um, so so you'd have you'd have less impact from the short term, but the long term, um, you know, essentially you know go up about 80 percent. Mm. Tell us about the Opportunity Zones program and its benefits. So, so the Opportunity Zone program uh, again came in the 2017 Tax Act. Uh, the good, the good news here is that the Biden administration likes the program. It actually had its genesis in the Obama administration. A lot of uh, the architects of the program were were in the Obama administration. It's very bipartisan, so it's it's going to be around both. Um, uh, Biden as well as Harris uh, like the program because it helps the inner cities. So the the the, the idea of the pro- program it's kind of almost a Robin Hood um, setup where you you're um, but but in reverse you're you're un- untaxing the rich and uh, and moving the benefits to the poor. So eighty seven hundred over eighty seven hundred uh, census tracts which. You know, generally consist of a population somewhere between ten thousand and fifteen thousand people. Uh, so they're they're just these gerrymandered blocks. Uh, you know, could be multiple city blocks in rural areas. It could be you know hundreds of acres uh, or hundreds of square miles even. Um, but what? So, so these these uh, census tracts that have uh, high poverty rates and 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 other economic challenges to the residents were identified. Uh, the governors were, were allowed to, to, to pick those from a, from a larger group and provided an investor roles, capital gains that they have, either short-term or long-term, that can be from anything, stocks, bonds, cryptocurrency. You could sell a business. You could sell artwork, whatever generates a capital gain. You can roll it into an opportunity zone fund, and there's a bunch of public ones around. And you can also even set up your own, which is uh, mainly what I do. And I've set up about 85 for high net worth individuals. And you roll the money in. You don't pay tax on that gain until December 31st, 2026 is when it matures. And then you pay tax in 2027 on that um, on that gain that you deferred 
Uh, in between, as long as you've held the fund for five years, you get to increase your basis in the investment by 10%. So if you had a million dollar gain, you get a 10% basis bump after five years and you pay tax on 900,000 instead of a million dollars in 2027. On the, the real juice out of the program happens if you hold the fund and the underlying assets or the underlying assets for 10 years. And once that happens, all of that gain, in my example, the million dollars that you rolled, let's say that ends up going to $10 million. You have a $9 million gain. For federal purposes, that gain goes poof. You never pay federal tax on it. And all but four states in the U.S. follow the same rules, and you would get that exemption uh, for state tax purposes, too. Uh, and there's no limit as to how large that gain can be. So I really like using the program for operating businesses because you're going to have a lot more appreciation potential in an operating business where, you know, you might get a, you know, a thousand percent return rather than, you know, a good real estate project might, you know, might give you 10 percent a year. And so you more than double your investment after 10 years. That's it's good, but it's not as exciting as a operating business. Have there been any changes or extensions announced as a result of COVID-19 is just creating havoc? <laughs> well, uh, funny you should you should ask. So about two weeks ago, the, the second COVID extension for Opportunity Zone Investing uh, came through, which we were happy. It, it actually was, you know, came, came through, I think, on the, uh, the night before uh, Biden took office. And um, and so the IRS released um uh, relaxation rules that allows um, allows you more time to invest the money into an opportunity zone fund, and so most people with twenty twenty gains and some twenty nineteen gains even have until at least March fifteenth of twenty twenty one to reinvest, and the vast majority will have until September 10th of 2021 to reinvest that money. And, and that the, the requirement you know, to get the initial deferral is just to put it in the Opportunity Zone Fund. If you set up your own, you, you still, under, under the new rules, you can have up to 55 months after you put the money into that fund to find appropriate investments, whether it be a real estate deal, whether it be an operating business or other qualifying assets. Can you tell us how the uh, program can be used to shelter maybe short-term capital gains associated with activities such as uh, stock trading and uh, crypto speculation? Right. We've seen a lot of that. And, you know, it used to be a a little bit of a kind of a fringe investment, you know, strategy. A lot of our clients weren't doing it, but now it's become, you know, pretty mainstream that you it's not unusual for clients to to you know approach us and say hey I you know just made half a million dollars in crypto or I've been day trading because I'm sitting at home and and have more time to watch the market and I've you know made you know million dollars over the last 6 months and uh, and as you as you mentioned you know people are churning their accounts they're they're trading more rapidly which results in in the short term gains and um, and and so as I mentioned earlier, since the the rate risk 
that it's going to climb in 2026 when you're going to pay this tax, that that spread is a lot thinner on a short-term capital gain. So we we really like to put short-term capital gains into the opportunity zone funds because there's there's very little rate risk. Um, we're we're still the majority are, are long-term capital gains just because the taxpayers have held them a long time, but we're getting a whole lot of uh, interest. Uh, from the short-term traders, so we, we've we've set up a lot at year end uh, mm. with crypto. Now I would imagine your middle name is Opportunity Zones. If somebody wants, because you know so much about it, if somebody wants to talk to you about Opportunity Zones and how to make the most out of uh, what's happening at the moment with the Biden administration and uh, securing your future and just doing good business, how will they get hold of Blake Christian? You know, easiest way, Google Blake Christian CPA, and you'll get all my contact information. All my articles will pop up. Uh, you can reach me uh, via text or or a call at 562-305-8050. And just finally, um, unscripted, um, just in one word out of 10, or one, one word only, um, a rating for the Biden administration from your point of view. <laughs> I, I, I was afraid you were going to ask that. Um, you know, I, I, I would give him a, a solid five at the moment. All right, Blake Christian, we'll have to ask you that again next week or later this week. In fact, thank you very much. Thank you. Great to see you. And that's it for Asia Pacific Today. I'm Mike Ryan.